0: What's going on my friends? Welcome back to the podcast, The What If Project. My name is Glenn, I'm your host, and this is episode number 192. And uh, it's a good thing that you tuned in today, because we're talking to Matthew Fox. Uh, Matthew's been on the podcast before, it was Easter of 2020, and uh, he came on to talk to us about uh, resurrection, and uh, all different sorts of things, creation, spirituality... And uh, today he's on the show to talk to us about Julian of Norwich, who uh, was a saint who lived uh, during the times of the bubonic plague. And the subtitle of the book is Wisdom in a Time of Pandemic and Beyond. And so what Matthew masterfully does in this book is he, he takes a look at Julian and her teachings, uh, the life that she lived in the midst of a, a terrible plague, and takes what uh, we can learn from her life then. And shows us how to layer it onto and apply it to our lives today, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, and life beyond that, and life beyond this moment. And really, really good stuff. We have a really good conversation. And uh, the last question I asked him, I'll just, I'll just give this little teaser to you. Uh, I asked him really on behalf of parents out there, because we have a, we have a child, we have a toddler who's uh, going to be five in March. But when the pandemic started in 2020, uh, she was two. And so she made a comment to me the other day, my, my daughter. She said, you know, I don't remember ever going into a store and not wearing a mask. Like, I don't, I don't remember that. And, uh, you know, she went from being really connected to people and, you know, playdates, all the different things, to obviously when the pandemic hit. And you know, now things are starting to kind of mellow out a little bit, but you know, things haven't been the same. And so I said to him, you know, kind of on behalf of parents, can you speak to parents out there who are in this situation where, you know, they, they had kids when the pandemic started who are really, really young, who probably don't remember very much from back then. But now that they're a, a few years older, you know, it's it's just very complicated. <laughs> and so talk to us about that. And he has some really uh, wise, very sage like advice to share with us. I hope that you will. Benefit from that um, as much as I did. Uh, I'll put all the links to his stuff in the show notes, along with uh, Patreon, Buy Me Coffee, two places to go to support the show financially. So if this has encouraged you, inspired you, uh, pushed you forward in your faith, two places to go to support it. Uh, also, music today is from Young Citizen. In every episode for the rest of the year, will be his music. Uh, he's doing some really great things in the Charlotte area uh, with the community, with the youth. He's a hip hop artist. And I really appreciate him and his work. So head over to Spotify, Apple Music, all the places. Show him some love. Pass around the music. And go buy my book, uh, Amazon.com, Rethinking Everything. Uh, it's my spiritual journey from black and white thinking to a world of color. It released on January 25th. It sold, I don't know, it sold like a 100 copies or something like that. And uh, it's good. I love it. I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun to write. I've gotten some good feedback on it. I haven't really got any hate yet. Where are you? Where are you, haters? <laughs> are you out there? Are you listening? Uh, but it's, it was a fun book to write. Uh, it's just, you know, talk takes you through the topics of hell, uh, LGBTQ inclusion, biblical inerrancy, the cross, and just talks about my journey from being a very conservative evangelical in all of those areas to this crazy place that I'm in uh, right now. So anyway, go pick it up, amazon.com. It's in softcover, hardcover. Kindle is coming. It's taking a little bit of time, uh, but it's coming. Don't worry. I have a friend, actually a podcast listener, who's working on it for us. Uh, to have the company that formatted it, uh, the, the the regular book, to do the ebook would have cost like, I don't know, $100, $200 more. I was like, I just don't want to pay to have more things done. <laughs> I've been working with them since like August to get this book done. I'm like, I just can't, I just don't want to go through another round of things <laughs> going back and forth. I was like, I just don't want to do it. And uh, I just wanted to release it in the soft cover, get it out there by my, my, my birthday, January 25th. Uh, but a friend, like I said, a listener of the podcast has uh, experience in the field of publishing, and he said that he would be happy to format it for Kindle and various e-readers for us. So he's working on that. It'll be in your hands soon. It'll be available for you to purchase on Amazon soon. Anyway, all that to say, my friends, episode number 192 with the great Matthew Fox. Enjoy.
1: I just want to get right into it. Yeah. Technology taking over the mind state. Conversations it out. Just called a bad case. Then they base it off a of character, a bad trait. Ain't no way to take it back. It's now it's too late. It's so they say, it's our own fault. Make your own decisions. Precisions took a void. Not the right visions. Feeling so annoyed. No kids outside playing. They inside with the toys. Back in the day, I used to play into the street like songs. Played up in the woods. I found my way back home. Both sets of friends moved. Now I'm all alone. My brother moved from Massachusetts all along. We came to form a bond that could never break. Hey
0: everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Today we're sitting down with one of my favorite writers and thinkers, a repeat guest, uh, one of my favorite people to talk to, Matthew Fox. So Matthew, welcome back, my friend. It's an honor to have this time with you. Thank you, Glenn. Glad to be with you again. Thank you. So you sent me uh, some books in the mail, uh, you and your assistant Dennis, of which I'm extremely grateful for. And one of them I want to talk to you about today. Is Julian of Norwich, uh, subtitled Wisdom in a Time of Pandemic and Beyond. And I, I wanted to say, first of all, I'm really grateful for your writing. Um, I'm gonna need to need to start a Matthew Fox bookshelf <laughs> pretty soon. <laughs> but your writing is is so is so personal. And uh, don't don't take this wrong, but the things that you present, I feel like it's not always necessarily new things that teach me anything new but it's stuff that really like awakens something in me that I'm like oh I feel like I always have this like aha moment when I read your books that there's something in there that's been buried but your your Mm -hmm. books help kind of bring it to the surface does
2: that make sense it does and I'm I'm honored that you say that and I see my job as a spiritual theologian is to articulate to put words Mm -hmm. to people's deepest experiences and um, that's my job that's so I try to I try to fill that role. And um, I come up with some language that um, and concepts that are very much in the Christian tradition, uh, both scripturally and historically and theologically, but which have not been, what can I say, out front during the modern consciousness. Mm -hmm. You know, concepts like the cosmic Christ or um, panentheism and so forth. Sure. For a lot of people... Uh, This sounds very new, but really it does resonate with their own wisdom, because I I really believe that people carry wisdom within them, but they need encouragement, they need teachers, they need mentors and people to help with the language. And then they can say, aha, oh yeah, that's my experience too. So, um, you know, the word wisdom comes from the word to taste,
3: Mm.
2: both in Hebrew, chokmah, and in Latin, sapere sapientia. So you have to taste, you know, these things, like the psalmist says, taste and see that God is good. So no no one can taste for you. Uh, That's, you know, there's not vicarious tasting. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's what you're talking about, I think, that you've tasted your own truths, and it helps to have someone come along and help name them. And you know you're not alone then, you're not isolated, and you're not exactly crazy.
0: I was going to say, it makes you feel a lot less crazy when somebody else is saying it <laughs> you in their say books. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Well, if yeah. you're ever looking to unload any of your author copies of your books, I'll send a truck to your house and I'll just load <laughs> up the truck and you can send them over to me. But uh, yeah, like I said, one of your latest books about Julian of Norwich, about the pandemic, time of the pandemic and beyond. And I guess to open up the conversation, what I want to ask you is maybe the most obvious question is what, what does a saint who lived in the 1300s Uh, possibly have to teach us about times of the COVID-19 pandemic. In other words, who was Julie of Norwich, and what makes her capable of speaking into our times?
2: Right. Well, she was born in 1342, and at the age of seven, the bubonic plague hit Europe. So she was seven years old when it hit for the first time. And she lived into her 80s, and it kept coming back in waves, just like the virus is doing these days. Mm -hmm. So... um, She lived with it her whole life, really. And I think it's very probable that she lost both a husband and a child to the bubonic plague. Um, That's uh, Mirabai Starr's um, interpretation. And Mirabai herself lost a child. And she feels, she picks up that in, in Julian's language. And I agree with her, it just makes sense. One out of three people died in the bubonic plague in England. And in Europe in general. That's a lot of people, 33% of the population, and uh, and um, maybe even more. Uh, they think that maybe 40 to 50% of the people died in the bubonic plague. Of course, remember then there wasn't science, there was no promise of vaccines, and no fight over the vaccines,
3: right. <laughs>
2: but people went crazy. Uh, for example, many men thought it was god punishing them for their sins which is interesting so they created flagellation clubs where they'd go to village to village they tried to go to three villages a day flagellating themselves publicly in the public square and this got so popular and so out of control that the pope had to intervene and say chill you know this isn't going to solve our our (laughs) problem (laughs) yeah So these people were freaking out. And then another response was scapegoating. And we have that in today's world, too. And they said it's because of the Jews. So there was a great rise of anti-Semitism. It was so bad in England, where Julian lived, that many Jews fled to the continent, even though the bubonic plague was bad there, too. But I guess the anti-Semitism wasn't as bad. Mm -hmm. And And then they blamed it on heretics and all this stuff going on. But Julian remained absolutely grounded grounded in the goodness of creation and um it just comes through in in such strong language from her so uh, like you say she was a saint because she she kept her wits when everyone around her was was going crazy and and she plugs into this deep tradition that we find of course in the in the scriptures and check out genesis one it's all about the goodness the very goodness and the beauty of creation, because that word for very good and good in Genesis one can be translated as beautiful as well, yeah. and uh, and is found in the wisdom tradition, etc. Cetera, et cetera. It's found in Jesus' teachings, of course. He was part mm-hmm. of the wisdom tradition. So, um, but of course, in the medieval times, it was Hildegard of Bingen in the 12th century. It was Francis of Assisi, who was born two years after her, then Thomas Aquinas, and then Meister Eckhart, and then Julian. So she really drew from the teachings of these other uh, theologians. And the Dominicans were very strong in in Norwich, in Julian's day. And I think that, the, that she must have had a, a Dominican as a spiritual advisor or something, because she's so in tune with both Aquinas and Eckhart, and they were both Dominicans at the time. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, she has so much to teach us. And uh, that's why I rushed the book um, when, when the pandemic hit and i felt she was a real voice to uh to heed
0: yeah i was really um surprised it's it's kind of not funny but it's kind of sad that like you know you think <laughs> back then in the bubonic plague that people were doing that blame game even yeah. then because even i mean then, now like think... i've seen so many people like on social media and stuff like i've mm-hmm. heard people say that well the Pandemic is the ref- is the fault of the gays. You know, it's it's the oh. gays, it's the LGBTQ oh people. I've seen people obviously blaming China and different things like that. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like there's always yeah. there's always somebody who needs to, yeah. we need to point the finger at somebody to blame exactly. Yeah.
2: Scapegoating. projecting. It it's makes me think like what's critical.
0: it's it's like wired into, it's almost like wired into us.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, the yeah. blame game. It's it's serious, it's real. And of course, a lot of it is envy too. Yes. On, especially yeah. you want to shoot True. down other other groups mm-hmm. that you presume are uh, where the grass you presume the grass is greener on their side than on your. <laughs> but the truth is you know <laughs> the grass is pretty uh, pretty brown <laughs> in a lot of places today thanks to climate change yes and yeah. so uh i think that's part of it though I'd never underestimate envy yes um, it's it's a powerful force in the world unfortunately
0: yeah. Now the section of the book that really uh, impacted me the most um, likely because of where I am in my own spiritual journey was chapter three, uh, which is called nature and God are one. And you have this section and you, you talked about it already. You mentioned already the, the cosmic Christ, um, which is this topic that I find myself really almost obsessed with these days. And uh, you have this quote from master Eckhart where he says, uh, a pear seed grows into a pear, pear tree a hazel seed into a hazel tree, and a seed of God into God. And uh, the idea, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the idea is that we're so, we're so connected to God, we're so connected to the divine, uh, we're made so much in God's image that we're literally these seeds of God that have been planted uh, in the universe. We all have this potential to grow into this divine image that we originate from. Am I on the right track? Does that sound like?
2: I think that's a wonderful way of talking about it. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, this picture, which is on the cover of the book mm-hmm. uh, that's behind me, I can hold the book up here and see a little closer maybe, is a painting of one of her, her visions. Mm. Um, she had a vision one day of a small ball um, in her hand, the size of a hazelnut, she says. And, and she said, what is this? And the answer came, this is everything God has made. In other words, the whole universe was in her, the palm of her hand. Mm-hmm. And she said, but it's so fragile, it could all fall apart. And the answer she got was, it is kept together by love. Mm-hmm. So notice, that's the cosmic Christ's experience there. She saw the whole universe glowing. It was also glowing, you see, mm-hmm. glowing with doxa, with glory. Like the scriptures say, that, you know, the earth is filled with the glory of God. And, um, and she saw it. And, um, and that love holds it all together. So that was a That's a beautiful example of the cosmic Christ. And, of course, when you talk about the seed of God, and that's a great quote from Eckhart. I'm glad you like it, too. Mm -hmm. Of course, he gets that from the uh, epistle of Peter, talks about us as seeds of God. But the cosmic Christ is found strongly in John 1. It's the light in all beings. And, you know, now science says that there are photons, which are light waves, in every atom in the universe. Mm -hmm. Whoa. I mean, that really there is a real connection between science and religion that one centers,
3: because
2: <laughs> right. uh, light is pretty important in the universe, yeah. and, and it's very special, especially when it's incarnate light, when it takes on flesh, mm-hmm. as it does on our Earth with all the creatures and ourselves included. So um, uh, the idea, some people think, oh, cosmic crisis, some 20th century idea from Thierry Chardin or something. Well, it's true. He recovered it, but in fact, it's in our oldest scriptures, it's in Paul, the first Christian writer. Mm-hmm. He talks about um, the cosmic Christ and uh, the, the, um, how all thing, it keeps all things together in the universe. And so, so the early Christians had this cosmic experience about the Christ and it lit up, it lit up the world for them quite literally and it gave them courage and, and the rest. But so much religion in the modern era has, has been, what um, should I say, reduced to psychology and to God and me, uh, and am I saved? Now, now that's directly related to Julian, too, for this reason. Thomas Berry, the great geologian, says that the, the bubonic plague killed creation spirituality in the West. Why? Because it introduced fear of nature, fear of death, And that became the whole thing after the 14th century. The whole religious agenda was: Am I saved? Am I going to heaven or hell? And that's what Protestants and Catholics fought about in the 16th century, 17th, well, right Mm -hmm. up to the 20th century. You know, saved by works or by grace or by this church or that church or whatever. And um, but that's not the primary message of the of the Bible, as Mm -hmm. Jews say. They They've never heard of original sin. Jesus never heard of original sin. And the so Bible begins with page one of Genesis that never mentions sin. It's yeah. about the the beauty of, of being here, the beauty of the universe, the goodness of being here, the very goodness, as the chapter ends, hmm. of being here. So this is how you got to begin to solve the problem of sin and mistake and failure and, and envy and all these other realities that are, that are certainly where we're good at <laughs> I mean we're really good at is, yeah. is any other species planning to blow up the world uh, either through nuclear bombs or or climate change and and <laughs> pretending it's not happening and all this I mean we're pretty special <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah unfortunately <laughs> that's <sense>, unfortunately
2: yeah. <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> so if you had to give us like you, you, you give us a little bit of an overview there of the cosmic price but I think that that term I've noticed is very new to a lot of people who mm-hmm. are kind of um, uh, hovering around <laughs> the what if project is a kind of new, new language. If you had to really kind of nail down for us, what is the cosmic Christ? Because for me in my tradition growing up, uh, Christ was essentially Jesus's last name. <laughs>
3: and, <laughs> nice. and I mean, it nice. just
0: meant that he was the Messiah. That's pretty much, that's yeah. pretty much it. And yeah. so it took me a long time, I think, to really, Develop a little bit of language for the cosmic Christ. Uh-huh. How would you kind of really define that for listeners, and yeah. then what does it have to do with life in the pandemic specifically? Yeah.
2: Well, it, it is about the the um, divinity in all things. <laughs> that that all things are other Christ, yeah. and we humans are other Christ. Yeah. And uh, now in the East, they talk about the Buddha nature of a tree and of a river and so forth. It's it's absolutely parallel to the idea of the Christ the cosmic Christ being the, the, the holiness, the sacredness in all things. Mm -hmm. And that's so important because like Thomas Berry says, we're not going to solve the ecological crisis if we don't return the sense of the world as sacred of the universe as sacred and of ourselves as sacred. We are all, um, and Eckhart develops the cosmic Christ profoundly, Meister Eckhart in the 14th century, just before Julian. And he says that, um, not only are we other Christ, but we are here to birth Christ. Mm-hmm. He says that Mary, what good is it to me if Mary birthed Christ 1400 years ago, and I don't birth Christ in my own person, in my own time and culture. Mm-hmm. So we're all here to be other Marys, he said, mothers of God. Yeah. And uh, so that's how, how you play with uh, the concept like that. And it's brilliant. So, so he would say, for example, your podcast. Mm-hmm. It's something you've birthed. It's another Christ. If you're doing good work, Christ kind of work, Matthew 25 in the world, which you're yeah. striving to do, mm-hmm. get some truth out and some uh, teaching about what love is in the <laughs> practical world. Um, so what we give birth to is is also the Christ. Mm-hmm. So it's a wonderful way to, first of all, to sacralize our work and our being in the world and to think a little more about our responsibility, you know, that that life is is important. And we don't know the number of years we're going to be here. But um, we are here to birth to birth the Christ. And uh, Eckhart compares the Annunciation story, you know, the angel telling Mary, mm. you know, that you're gonna bring she he compares that to the artist, the artist in all of us, that we are being visited, if you will, by the angel. And being told that, that we too are here to birth the Christ in our time, in our culture, with all its its problems, just as Jesus' culture had plenty of problems too. <laughs> he took on an empire in his day, as we know. And um, and, and he took on a, a religion, his own, and and uh tried to renew it. And so we're we're in that kind of boat today, you know. So it's uh Whenever you know, now here's a way to read the scriptures about the cosmic Christ. When you see the word doxar or glory, you're talking about the cosmic Christ always, because cos Christ is that radiance that emanates from, from beings that, that uh, imitates the divine. Um, when you see the word mountain, you know, when you have all these visitations like Mount Sinai on the top of mountains or transfiguration experience of Christ. I I did a whole book with Bishop Mark Andrews on the stations of the cosmic Christ that we identified 16 experiences of the, the I Am sayings, the seven I Am sayings in John's Gospel. I am the way, and I am the bread of life, and I am the good shepherd. Those are cosmic Christ sayings, because the I Am is the divine name from Exodus, of course. And um, but then the other moments are a transfiguration, the baptism with the sky opened up. That's kind of cosmic, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and and actually the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, Pentecost are all cosmic Christ events. Mm-hmm. All the great events in the Christian liturgy or, or season uh, feast days of the year are, are cosmic Christ events. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we have some left brain scholars saying oh yeah but Bethlehem and all that nativity story wasn't historical well, that's not the point about religion <laughs> it isn't meant to be a story really Reli- right. dumb history boring history book it's about myths that catch the human heart to yeah. to engage us and to grow us and make us deeper and those stories do you know what the what the left brain theologians tell us, uh, those stories capture the human heart. And you don't have to be a Christian to be captured by those amazing archetypes. They're, right. they're awakened and aroused by, by the Christmas story or by any of these other stories you see. And, of course, Matthew 25 is the cause of Christ because it's Jesus um, uh, telling us, the historical Jesus talking about it. You see another person in trouble. It's not just that person. Nothing's literal. I'm that person. I'm not just Jesus talking to you. I'm that person. I mean, that's mind-blowing. And it's it's the best summary of what compassion is that human race has ever come up with. Yeah. So um, Matthew 25, you know, stands out because there's the Jesus talking about the cosmic Christ. Mm-hmm. We're not just one another. We are other Christs. Even when we're suffering, we're other Christs. Yeah. So that's that's a brief a brief take on the cosmic Christ. And, and Julian got it. And, you know, she talks about the goodness of nature. She says, God is the goodness in nature. Mm-hmm. So everyone else is freaking out about nature. And she's talking about God is the goodness in nature. <laughs> and the goodness in nature is God, she says. And nature is God, she says. So the, the split that Augustine had, who was so dualistic, between nature and grace is utterly melted in in Julian. But she she's not standing alone. Right before Eckhart had said that um, nature is grace. Mm. So she's really building on that. And of course it is. You know, you bring your first child into the world. Is that a grace experience or what? I mean, I've never met anyone who doesn't talk about that as a mystical experience. Yeah. And um, of course, nature is grace. And uh, it's it's a pity that people like Augustine kind of took the reins in Christian theology for hundreds of years because in his century, remember, Christianity took over the empire. Mm -hmm. And so to run an empire, you got to introduce something like original sin to get everyone in line and join, join the army (laughs) in the name of Christ. And then you got, you run with this dualism of spirit versus matter. And, and um, Augustine said, spirit is whatever is not matter. Now, That really makes life dull. Now, Aquinas, who's part of this creation tradition, says, no, he says, spirit is the elan, the vitality in everything. A blade of grass, a tree, a horse, yourself, that spirit. There's not this division between matter and spirit. And now today's science is saying that light, that, that matter is frozen light. For to me, that's an ultimate melting of dualism because light is the most common name for divinity in the scriptures and in other world religions. And um, Christ saying, I am the light of the world and all that. So now here's science saying, hey, you know, there's all matter is light. Now there's a lot of matter that isn't light. I mean, there's a lot of light that isn't matter,
3: Mm.
2: but that um, light has taken on flesh, literally, Uh, that's astounding. And of course, that feeds right into the Christian idea of incarnation, that God becomes flesh. And uh, so anyway, there's just some wonderful synergies going on today between science and spirituality, and to make science an enemy of of God, or of Christ, or of the scriptures, or even our, our Christian tradition. I mean, all of our great teachers over the centuries have tried to relate whatever the science was in the day to what what they're receiving as a message from the scriptures so anyway julian was right on target on so many things
0: yeah so what is that then like the cosmic christ this idea what what can that do for us in the midst of a time of pandemic mm-hmm. beyond like the subtitle of your book yeah. says so like what why is that why is that so key for us to grasp in these times?
2: Well, it it resacralizes everything. It yeah. resacralizes everything, yeah. and and as as Barry says, that's the number one issue in dealing with the environmental crisis. Yeah. But you know the the coronavirus and the many viruses to come, uh, I think they're directly related to climate change, mm-hmm. because I uh, I mean the. The understanding is it's not 100 percent proven, but that this particular virus came from a bat, right, in a market in China. And um, and why are the why are we getting bitten so much by these by these rabid animals? Because we've been encroaching on their on their lands. That's why. And, you know, we have so taken over the planet that we're encroaching. And so there's going to be, you know, the the AIDS virus apparently came from monkeys in Africa. Mm -hmm. Same thing, you see, that this, as we come up against other species, there's, you know, there's beauty involved, there's friendship involved, excitement, but there's also dangers, real Mm -hmm. dangers, because they carry viruses that it's like, it's like Europeans coming to America. The Indians weren't ready for our European viruses Mm -hmm. and they got, they got hit real hard, yellow fever and all that. Well, in a way, I think it's like that for us. We're encountering these other species and we're doing, again, the encroaching. It's us who's, who's invading their property. They aren't invading ours mm-hmm. for the most part. But um, so I think even that is part of the climate change is part of our waking up to how we are meant to be responsible members of this web of creation. And, and as we encroach on other beings, uh, we're gonna get bit. Mm-hmm. if we don't, um, you know, honor their, their place, their places, um, you know, in the world. Hildegard of Bingen wrote about this in the 12th century. She said, we are part of a web of creation, but if humans in our greed uh, break that web, interfere with that justice of the web, that, because the web makes a whole, yeah. that God will allow creation to punish humanity. It's not that God is coming at us, but creation is coming at us Mm -hmm. because we're breaking the rules. And so I think that's a a big lesson about the pandemic. But again, um, Julian herself, you know, lived as an anchorist, which was a a ritualized ceremony in in the medieval church where she was literally uh, blocked, uh, bricked up into this little room which was adjacent to a church. Mm -hmm. And she lived there the rest of her life. She took a vow to die there. And, um, so she chose, uh, the isolation, uh, that of course the pandemic has forced upon us for two and a half uncomfortable years now. But I think obviously there's something to learn from that, that the, the introspection, you know, to look more inward and also outward. Now she, she was not just there alone. She had a window on the world and, um, on the marketplace there in, in Norwich. And in fact, there was a river just two blocks down down from her window. So no doubt sailors came, because she had a window and she would mm. counsel people there. There's no doubt to me that sailors would come up at two in the morning, drunk, <laughs> some of them drunk, <laughs> and seek her advice. But she was very, very grounded. And, um, and, and I think that's one reason why. She was definitely involved with other people. She counseled them, and so, and and she wrote this book. Her book is the first book ever by a woman in English. She invented a lot of English words, like the word enjoy, and the word uh, wanting, O-N-E-I-N-G. Those are words of hers, but many others she invented. She's the first woman to write a book, and that took a lot of chutzpah and and trust and confidence because um, it was a new thing to do that. Now her book wasn't published for three hundred years, which is, as I say, a long time to wait for your first book
3: review.
2: (laughs) 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 She was a woman, yeah. But um, uh, you know, we should give her credit. She's one of the founders of the English language, really, in that regard. Yeah,
3: Yeah.
0: I love that you said that. You know, the Cosmic Christ is kind of seeing the seeing the kind of the goodness, the glory, the radiance um, in every in every human being and in, in every created thing and i think yeah. that you know picking back to what we said earlier about that blame game i think mm-hmm. that it makes it much harder to to blame people for the pandemic right to point your finger at lgbtq people to point your finger at china to point your finger at this mm-hmm. and that whatever when you're looking at other people as the christ when you when i can see the christ in you it makes it very difficult for me to point my finger at you because I see in you what I see in myself, and like you said, that creates a sense of oneness, a sense of connectivity between us.
2: Absolutely, we're well said. And also, I think it opens the door to what I call deep
3: ecumenism—that
2: mm. you look at Jewish people, you look at Muslim people, or Buddhist people, mm. and you look—and f- you look for the Christ there, if you will. You know, uh, the the um, the commitment to morality, to justice, to compassion. Um, and all of their religions teach these things. You know, Christ is not the only one who taught these things. In other words, you look for what we have in common that's important and beautiful, not what separates us. Yeah. And then you come to a point where you can celebrate the diversity. And the same is true with, you know, as you say, LGBT people. People are different. There's diversity. And there isn't all God's creation. It's obvious. And for one thing, we now have kind of 464 other species that have gay and lesbian populations. So are they sinners? (laughs) We got, got, you know, porpoises, and we got goats, and we got dogs and cats, and we got penguins. I yeah. just read an article the other day about two gay penguins been, been hatching a, a egg together in some zoo, I don't know if it was New York or someplace. Yeah. And, the, and the new penguin came out just fine and so forth. So- Is God um, a man at that yeah, too? <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> that divinity has a has a bigger view of sexuality than some human tribes
0: do. That's right. So you got another chapter called um, Tasting Non-Dualism, where you mentioned this quote from Julianne, Uh, which says that uh, seeing God in life cannot be a continuous experience. Then you talk about how work kind of has to balance out and and ground our times of um, breakthrough because we kind of go nuts if we just were on a spiritual high 24 hours a day. Maybe talk to us a little bit more about this finding a, a rhythm where you kind of move between highs and lows, but yet you know, you're disconnected from God, you feel connected to God, disconnected, but yet you maintain your peace the whole Mm -hmm. way through. Because I think, I think most people would agree with me that the pandemic has been a series of highs and lows, especially Mm -hmm. if you, you know, you track with the media and things like that. It feels like every day is different. My emotions are all over the place. Maybe talk to us about that, this idea of tasting non-dualism and just kind of what yeah. that has to do with with our ups and downs
2: well as she says we experience a wondrous mixture of well and woe she's yeah. beautiful language you know so yeah. and I, there's cause for mirth and cause for mourning mm-hmm. so this is what the mystics call the via positiva which is the experience of the god of joy mm-hmm. and delight and wonder and beauty and the via negativa
3: mm-hmm.
2: which um, is sometimes an experience of silence which is of course, utterly neutral and, and powerful, but it can also be the experience of grief and suffering. And um so that the the um and, and of course they'll talk about, you know. This is why the the light, and when I say they, I don't mean just Christian mystics. I I remember being in a dollar with Eddie Kneebone, who was an aboriginal from Australia. And he made a big thing about this between nighttime and daytime. He said, in daytime, we see things around us. We see the earth and all that wonderful stuff. But at nighttime, we see the stars. We see the, the cosmos. So the nighttime is a time for opening our hearts to the whole universe of God. And the daytime is for these particular things that are every day and and coming at us, and many of them very beautiful. So define that rhythm, as you say. And of course, so much depends on the cultural news of the day. Obviously, think back to our parents or grandparents, in your case, uh, of Second World War, when hearing the news every day turning on the radio was about you know where were the Nazis advancing and where were the... Um, you know, the allies advancing. I mean, every day was, was you know, the plenty of, and, you know, is my loved one safe or dying or mm-hmm. wounded or lost? I mean, you know, think about living through a time of war. So um, again, that's, that's reality, that there's a lot of suffering in the world. And of course, the cross reminds us of that. But, um, and the Buddhist remind us of that, that all beings suffer. It's not just human beings who suffer.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And of course, you know it, if you have a, an animal in your household, you know, or just as if you have children, you know, there are healthy days and well days and there are sick days. Yeah. And learning to live with both is finding a, a center, a grounding. And again, here, Julian is so explicit that for her, the grounding is the goodness of nature. In other words, no matter what the, the suffering is, that um, being here is the primary miracle. Yes. It's the primary gift, yes. and it and, and includes suffering. And again, I, I like how frank the Buddhists are about this, that all beings suffer. But that doesn't mean that there aren't ways to, um, what should I say, well, to stand up to the suffering. Of course, this is what justice work is about. This is what compassion is about, trying to relieve as much suffering as we can. Um, and and making good laws uh, to, you know, to to relieve as much suffering or prevent as much suffering as we can. Yeah. Um, there's going to be suffering. But the big thing, I think, is to wrap it in this big wreath of the via positiva. Uh, Rabbi Zama Shachner used to say, there's more good than evil in the world, but not by much. <laughs> I think that's very realistic. There's more good than evil in the world, but not by but not by much. So, so we have to focus on the good. You mm-hmm. have to develop that. And if we're under-educated regarding the goodness, in other words, if cynicism reigns in a culture, and this is part of the package of patriarchy, to mm-hmm. spread cynicism, uh, then you're in a very difficult place, spiritually speaking, in a very dangerous place, because if we can't we'll say, share hope, mm-hmm. uh and I love the definition of hope from David Orr, the eco-philosopher, when he says hope is a verb with the sleeves rolled up. <laughs> that hope is proportionate to our willingness to work, yeah. to go to work for the good, whether that good is the truth in journalism or something, or whether it's beauty or whether it's justice and, and they all come together, whether it's compassion. Mm. So a lot of the, the relief of suffering depends on us. Are we re- willing to um, be uh, workers uh, in, in, the, in the field of um, taking on injustice in its many forms, racism and sexism and homophobia and the rest. Hmm. Uh, again, and that's bringing Christ in the world, literally, in, in Eckhart's understanding. That's birthing the cosmic Christ. Yeah. So, you know, it's, what can I say? It's really not that complicated. This To me, this really kind of brings together the message not only of Jesus, but of the prophets who, who birthed him, Isaiah, and, and so forth, but even of the, of the basic messages of other traditions. Like the Dalai Lama says, we can do away with our religion, but we can't do away with compassion. Yeah. Compassion is my religion. Right. Well, that sends me to Luke 6, where Jesus says, be you compassionate, like you created heaven. I mean, what's different between those two statements, I mean both religions are are shouting about compassion. Right. And of course, look at it scientifically now. Mm-hmm. That we have this reptilian brain that is totally out of control in this world and in our politics, for example, and uh in the media, social media, but the reptilian brain has to yield to the mammal brain because the mammal brain is the brain of compassion. Yeah. It's the brain of kinship. And so we have to find ways to calm that reptilian brain, such as meditation, which is that meditation does it calms the reptilian brain so the mammal brain can flourish and that's our salvation as a species and um that's the salvation of the planet as we know it if we can get around to that our powers of compassion and um which is how we imitate christ yeah and uh like thomas aquinas says compassion is the fire that jesus came to set on the earth sure what a beautiful statement Yep. And how that echoes what the Dalai Lama is saying. So where's the fire? <laughs> we yeah. got wildfires here in Northern go We don't have yeah. a lot of the fire of compassion. You know? Let's light that fire and get on with it. Get on yeah. with the work.
0: So my last question then is, how do we talk to our children about this kind of stuff? Mm. And I was wondering if you could maybe speak a little bit to the parents who are listening. Because one thing I've noticed mm. for myself, we have a four-year-old daughter, is mm. a real lack of connection for her during mm. the, the pandemic our daughter was two when the pandemic mm. started yeah and then she turned three that March so two mm. to three and we wanted to put her in nursery school she was due to go to nursery school but we opted not to for obvious reasons yeah. um, when the enrollment happened for the next year uh, cases in our area were just again through the roof so we decided wow. again um, you know we just didn't really feel comfortable yeah. with it given the different guidelines and things like that so now yeah. she's four Going on five in March, she's going to be in kindergarten mm-hmm. next year, but she went from seeing friends every day to mm-hmm. seeing and seeing new things, new places every week. We would take mm-hmm. her different places to very little of that and very little mm-hmm. uh, interaction with kids her own age. And the other day, broke my heart. But she said to us, "You know, I don't remember not wearing a mask in the store." You know, so for her, like the pandemic has become her norm. And so I guess my my question is, what what, what wisdom can all of just what we talked about and julian really bring to to parents because i feel equipped somewhat equipped a little bit equipped to kind of bring myself through the ups and downs but it sometimes mm. feels very i feel very unequipped to navigate my four-year-old daughter through the ups and downs especially when she doesn't really have much of the language of anything that we've been yeah. we've been talking about so what are your your thoughts on yeah. on that
2: well, that first of all, I just want to commend you for the question and the story you just told. It's very, very piercing, very um, powerful, and I'm sure you're not alone, as you say, of yeah. so many parents undergoing this. But I think the the most, and again, Julian is saying this. I think, go to nature, you know, take your children into nature, and and if they can have, if you can arrange for a pet or pat or um, you know that, that nature is there still, and it is still, you know, mostly benign. Mm. Uh, and um, so I think the return to nature is, is really important. And an example would be gardening. you know, take up gardening with your kids yeah. and teach them you know where plants come from and you know and the wonder of it and, and how they grow, like they' like they're growing, the kids are growing and so forth. Uh, that um, you know to, and then, of course, the sky and, of course, the the new uh, telescope, the Webb telescope, that's very important, you know, opening up Father Sky right. and how exciting this can be. And, of course, what Hubble has taught us about Father Sky right. and, and uh, about the mystery of our arrival as humans and the arrival of the Earth, you know, the, the history of the universe. Sure in so far as these children can understand it. And they can understand a lot of it, you know, it's a great story, it's a great creation story. And um, so I I think that's an invitation, plants and animals and nature. And, um, you know, you can go there with or without masks, you know, to stay away from other people Um, and don't underestimate the friends that children can make with the more than human ones, the more than two-legged ones. Uh, that's i think that would take on special meaning in a time like this and it's safe and um also it will ground them in an eco awareness that is going to be part of their entire life obviously uh how they're going to be voting 10 and 20 years from now and and so forth and uh So I I think that's important. And and of course, also what we've lost for a lot of people is, of course, the celebration a gathering that we call church, um, that that's missing also. And um, so, of course, some things can be done online, but of course, it's not nearly enough. So I I turn to to the other forms of nature and but if you can find, you know, some friends in the neighborhood where they they wear masks, then they can still get together. But that is a great loss, as you say, what these children are going through in their formative years, not having friends and and even enemies, you know, buddies and 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 not and bullies to run into on a on a daily basis, you know, learn what life is about, what human humans are about. But um, that would be my my first thing. And then, of course, to even up your ante on reading with the kids (laughs) and music, of course. Uh, Poetry, getting them to to express themselves musically and by dance and through poetry. Um, And then maybe sharing that online, you see. So you would have a common language with other kids that can't get in the same room together, you know? Um, Those are a few thoughts kind of in my mind. And, And they derive, again, from Julian when she says that God is nature. Well, um, and of course, nature includes human nature and other other kids. So uh, that's part of that too, when when it's possible and safe. And I can understand the decisions you have to make as a parent. I mean, you guys are going through a lot. And of course, as you know, a lot of would-be parents your age, your generation and younger are even asking the question, dare I bring children into the world? Uh, Yeah at this time with so much of the climate change and the rest. And, and, you know, those, those are really heavy questions,
3: yeah. but
2: uh, I know they're going through a lot of people's minds, a lot of couples minds, and it just shows the gravity of the time in which we're living. Yeah. But we shouldn't as adults, as you say, I know you're, you're striving and others, we don't want to fall down the rabbit hole of hole of despair yeah. and cynicism because yeah. that's cheap. It's easy. And there's a lot of it. And people are making money on it. I know people who are holding retreats and writing books about it's all over for the human race. So let's just drink and be merry or something.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, there's a group in Berkeley that meets every month. It's like a church. They meet every month to talk about how they're not going to do anything about climate change because it's all over anyway. Yeah. You know, it's you know that that's that's a rabbit hole. And so people like yourself are trying to do something and awakening yourself and others. Mm-hmm you also have to stop and ask, you know, what are your spiritual needs? Where can you get them? You know, um, and, and nature will always be a source yeah. because nature continually blesses us, uh, even though there's, there's also plenty of, of problems too. But my point is that uh, to learn to pray, to learn to meditate, contemplate in nature, listen to nature. Mm-hmm. And this is an opportunity for us European types to get deeper into the truth and the wisdom of indigenous people who have never forsaken the the prayer of the earth and of the body and have have never succumbed to reading prayers and calling that prayer, you know, from a book, you know, that that prayer is about the heart. Take your heart into the woods, take your heart to the sea, take your heart to the fields and to the night sky and, and to the rising sun and take your kids too. Let them see you praying in this context, yeah. in the sense of opening your soul. And I think a lot of good can come from that. We become more connected to the, the eco issues of our time. And remember, the cosmic Christ is not just the light in all things, but the suffering in all things. Mm-hmm. That's what the wounded Christ is about. Yeah. So um, to enter into the suffering of Mother Earth at this time is a form of education, and re-education, I think. And um, it will make us stronger, that the wellness will balance the whole. And yeah. um, as Julian promises, that all things will be well, uh, all things will be well, yeah. uh, all manner of things will be well, she says. And I don't think she's at all tiptoeing through the tulips when she says that. She lived through the Black Death, <laughs> she lost her right. husband and her son, her child, and but it comes out of a deep awareness yep. that um, that there's more good than evil in the world, but not by much.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so good, Matthew. We are uh, <laughs> we are nearing the end of our time, but I could talk to you all day. Um, I appreciate yeah. I appreciate your conversation, and I appreciate the wisdom of this book. Thank you.
2: Well, thank you, and thank you for your wise questions and stories. Appreciate oh, thank- it.
0: Thank you. And do you have any uh, any upcoming works that you want to share for the listeners? Anything they should be on the lookout for?
2: Well, they always have something, something new coming out, it feels next like. Month. That's <laughs> true. Um, Orbis Books is putting this book out. I just got it yesterday. Ooh. Uh, Matthew Fox's Essential Writings on Crazy Spirituality. It's part of a series, Modern Spiritual Master Series. They did uh, Richard Rohr and Gandhi and Kitna Hans. So, so it's a collection of my works, and it was put together by a Jewish friend of mine, a scholar, um, Charles Barak, and he wrote the introduction, which is kind of something of my the biography, my biography. Mm-hmm. but he did a good job, and um, yeah, that's coming out. I'm kind of excited, because it's, especially for a younger generation, it's kind of a summary. Well, the Cosmic Christ, for example, is a section in there, mm-hmm. and a lot of the concepts that we've uh, talked about today, and, and the mystics, and, and about what creation is really about. So um, I'm kind of excited about that. Yeah, that's coming out in March.
0: Mm-hmm. That's excellent. Well, I'll be in touch and we'll get you back on to talk about it. <laughs> well, that'll be fun. Great. That'll be fun. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Matthew. I, I appreciate you your time.
2: You. you bet. Thank you. Gwen.
0: All right.
1: Wish I had more days, you know how I go New routine, always on the ball Ducks in the rope, levitating Even regulating in my headspace Meditating, just to keep me sane Ain't no hesitation, oh yeah Spin around the world, glad to be alive Most my bros couldn't even make it past 25 Maybe it be smart to be more cautious Focus on the wins than the losses Going crazy, trying to figure out the causes Think we smarter than the average, like we flawless so focused, determined, I found my conscience, Unsolved, unlocked it, just turned to faucet. I was taught to have no fear inside Making sure I'm standing tall and I'm on the front line We about to go to war, I'ma put up a fight I'ma be about mines, just protecting my oh. life yeah. Oh, it's your birthday
3: Make sure I'm always crying like it's Saturday Better shake some things up like an earthquake Can't get caught up in my feels, that's what they say
1: Yeah. 31 was the year, ain't no turning back 23 the introduction, ain't know how to act Women tits ups ahead, and that's a known fact Please believe I knew from day one that we both attract Eating sushi, you're paying the first day. Looked into your eyes, I knew this my soulmate Treat me like a king, make sure that I don't skate You're the queen, take the throne, make sure that we all straight uh, Talk for hours till the sun come up and you caught on to my tricks so I ran out of luck I'ma be right by your side like a sign on the truck Always gonna be your protection and you won't have to duck Yeah. Years later decided to tie the knot It's all about levels, we made it up to the top On the platform, get ready, we taking off We under one name, it's written up in the oh. law Oh, it's your birthday Make sure I'm always grinding like it's earth day Better shake some
3: things up way